I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. The podcast where you listen. <laughs> the only one of its kind. <laughs> what antiques we talk about this week? So this was actually a listener request from friend of the podcast on Facebook, Leah, who wanted to know more about Sylvac pottery. Do tell. Shortly after reading the request and going, hey, what the hell? Uh, it turns out it's actually Silva C pottery, emphasis on the capital C, but it is all in one word lump. But what is it? It is a kind of ornamental British pottery characterized by animals, topi jugs, and what they ended up referring to as fancies, which is just the Victorian word for bric-a-brac. Oh, so this is this is sickening Victorian whimsy once again. Yeah, uh, my favorite sentence was that someone called them the fast fashion of ceramics. Whoa. In that they would just sort of churn out whatever style was fashionable and popular at the time and generally cheaper than whatever like large house had introduced the style that had gotten famous. And that feels very accurate to the company in general. Tell me more. I didn't figure out why they named it Silva Capital C. Silva C supposedly refers to the names of the people who own the company, but not in a way I can figure out. So if you're going to ask me why, like, I can't do that. If you're going to ask me why, the podcast is going to end right here and right now. And we'll both <laughs> yeah, have to walk into the sea. We live on the coast and we can and will do that, so... Like everything, it seems, that gets made, pretty much ever, it was in Stoke-on-Trent in Staffordshire, England. It seems like the reason that I wasn't like largely familiar with this and didn't recognize it is because it's primarily popular in the UK and only migrated over fairly recently and in limited amounts. Stoke-on-Trent, you might recognize that name as being where literally all pottery comes from, seemingly the cradle of pottery from the beginning of time. Well, no, that would be Mesopotamia, but... Well, yeah, but as a funny joke... Oh... <laughs> comedy. <laughs> That's a comedy bit. Yeah, Stoke-on-Trent is pretty heavily saturated with a lot of... I mean, there's an entire kind of pottery named after the county it's in. There is. Staffordshire murder pottery. Exactly. Um, it was founded in 1894, which surprised the hell out of me when I looked this up. Because I looked at the stuff and I was like, very kitsch, very 50s. And then to be slapped with the numbers 1894 was very surprising. <laughs> By a William Copestake and William Shaw, the company was called, you'll never guess it, Shaw and Copestake. Incredible. They switched partners back and forth for a while as large companies are wont to do. They purchased Falcon Pottery and then sold off their stock for about a year, which I thought was kind of funny. Voluntarily liquidated in 1982 and was purchased by new trademark holders in 1998 and resumed production. Oh, so they're just always in business. Their longevity is astounding and their adaptability is similarly like very impressive to me. Because they go from the traditional kind of like Staffordshire, like high Victorian Staffordshire dog kind of style. And I think they were probably tastemakers for a lot of like kitsch from the 1930s onward. They seem to have pioneered some design choices. My absolute favorite is uh, second business partner Richard Hull in, I believe, the 1910s. He went on a business trip to France and he saw a porcelain rabbit. And he went back and he was like, this is going to sell. We need to make rabbits. We need to make little rabbits. And literally everyone was like, no, are you high? Shut up. <laughs> and he forced them to make it. 
yes, I am high, but you're going to make the fucking rabbits. Yeah, like, <laughs> we'll deal with that later. Make the fucking rabbit. <laughs> Like, literally all of the recordings of this exchange was that everyone hated the idea, but he owned part of the company, so they had to do it. And he was 100% right. Rabbits went on to be one of their best-known and most well-loved products that they made pretty much until they liquidated and was picked back up when they unliquidated in 1998. He must have been in-fucking-sufferable about that until the day he died. <laughs> Yeah. There was no way you could ever tell this fucker anything for the rest of his life. <laughs> I Right? Like, and he earned it. He earned it so hard. Uh, the reason why I was curious about the idea of them kind of pioneering the idea of kitsch is because when he introduced the rabbit figures, they were introduced with a kind of stylization. Notably, their ears were very big and their bodies were kind of shrunk. Aw, big ol' flop-lops. This was in the 1930s where this wouldn't become kind of like the standard, even for kitschy knickknacks, for a while. And I, I don't have any doubt that it probably is like cribbing off of known design choices at the time, but it, it seems very pointed. It's earlier than you see that kind of like cartoonishness being introduced. So your theory is they might have pioneered it to an extent? I think so. I think they got copied because there are very few companies that focused solely on bric-a-brac that have survived for the period of time that Silva C did. They're even best known for glazing in these solid yellows and greens. Like, if you had showed it to me without context, I would have assumed we're from the 1970s, like those kinds of strange colors. My favorite thing is that the original, with the eccentrically long ears, are known as Harry's. <laughs> I don't know why. And apparently that is uh, where people who collect this stuff Almost all start at their goofy little hairy hairs. Oh my god. I just realized where they're called Harry's. I, I, am, I just caught up to literally everyone else on the planet just now when I said that. Wait, you you didn't- No, I hadn't made the connection. You just now- No, I read- I literally read a book about this and then- Listen, we all learn at our own pace <laughs> and we all grow and expand our consciousness- and our understanding of the world around us. And, you know, it would be wrong for a friend and a co-host to shame you through laughter. <laughs> I'll give you a pass. You can laugh. For taking so long to catch <laughs> You may laugh unburdened, my friend. <laughs> Another thing that they're actually really, really well known for is dogs. This started with, as I'd mentioned before, kind of the copying the Staffordshire decorative dogs and quickly spiraled out of control to the point where if there is a dog breed that you're interested in, there's probably a Silva C figurine of it. Hell yeah. Yeah, which frankly I think is very good and cool. To the point where I've seen people refer to Silva C's as basically just like conglomerations of dogs and rabbits. Uh, that is how saturated it is. But rest assured, they made so much stuff. Oh my god. I cannot handle how much different stuff they made. Just churning it out. Every day something new from the kiln. Really? Like, like for real? There are these decorative pieces that look kind of like Roseville. They made Toby jugs. They made like obvious riffing off of fine china, like blue and white painted vases. And my favorite thing, I started this whole sentence just so I could introduce this. A kitchen cruet that looks like the Loch Ness Monster. I love it so much. Holy shit, I want one. 
Hell yes. Get in my kitchen. It's a little oil cruet. It's so good. It's so good. As it happens, I'm not the only one that's one of their most popular, like, rare pieces that people are on the lookout for. They have a whole, like, range of what I am now going to begrudgingly refer to as kitchenalia. Wow. Hey, I hate that. I know, I don't like it either, but it's a term everyone seems to have picked up for it. Why are they like this? Stop it. They just ended everything with Alia. Well, they need to quit it. A lot of it is kind of riffing on pixie wear and walking wear and that kind of like kitsch stuff. And a Toby-esque style of kitchenware, which is just like containers that look like vegetables with comical faces. If you're extremely online, you might be familiar with the beetroot jar from Shifty Thrifting. And that's one of these. We've done it. We found the source. We found beet poot. It's made by us. It was Silva C. Silva C is to blame. And as it happens, that kind of kitchenware is some of the more popular and rare pieces that you can find. You can also keep an eye out for animal figures from the 30s through 60s. Yeah, that's a wide range. Again, this is a pretty long history company and that's how things are going to go now. Specifically, animal figures doing unusual comical things. And none of them seem to refer back to any jokes or pop culture references. They're just strange. There's elephants in a football kilts, T-posing. Huh. <laughs> Depressed monkeys trying to hitch a ride. Okay. And the toothache dog, a dog with a toothache figure, is very popular. Oh, does it have like a little bandage wrapped around its head? Yeah, it's got the little bonnet wrapped around its mouth. It looks sad. Aww, poor puppy. Yeah, I don't want it. That would make me so, that would make me feel terrible. There's the Loch Ness Monster crew that I want so badly. <laughs> and <laughs> when they introduced the dogs, they found out that the terriers sold the best to the point where any dog that is not a terrier breed is actually considered like more unusual and more valuable. Oh, because they wouldn't even bother making as many. Exactly. They're smaller audiences. However, that is everything except the Mac dogs. They got a special designer to make Scotty dogs that were holding golf balls. And because of the crossover with golf collectibles, and no, I don't think I'll ever do an episode on that. Thank you very much for not asking. Nothing bores me more than the concept of golf. I mean, if you want an episode about how we hate golf as a sport, as a culture, as a concept, then absolutely we'll talk golf. But I don't know that anyone who enjoys golf will enjoy a single minute of it. I can't imagine anything worse than having to care about golf for any period of time. Like you've said, I would only begin a conversation to disparage golf, <laughs> as I have done exactly here and now. So this is the closest you're going to get. Please enjoy the Scotty dog holding a golf ball that I'm mentioning in passing because it belongs to a very interesting tchotchke maker. They're extremely valuable, uh, probably because they got this guy, the designer of them, on for like the equivalent of a season. And again, because of the crossover with another collectible strato. Other thing is gnomes. These are mostly popular because people put them outside and they didn't last very long out there. Did these guys invent garden gnomes? No, now that's a topic I would like to dive deeper into. They did not invent garden gnomes. They merely capitalized on their popularity at various periods of time. I see. Especially there's a gnome sitting on a mushroom, which is apparently mythical. So if you've got one of those, check the bottom of it for a marking. More on that in a second. Um, sorry, quick point of order. That gnome is mythical. Other gnomes are not mythical? The piece of pottery shaped like a gnome on a mushroom is mythical. The concept of gnomes in general are blanket mythical, yes. 
No, Ken, gnomes have been real this whole time. I'm sorry to break it to you. I never know what the fuck you're going to bring me on this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so offended. What do you think I am? Dumb or something? <laughs> you are from Jersey, apparently. No, I'm quoting singing in the rain. Oh, I haven't seen that. Is that bad? I mean, that's an easy problem to remedy, turns out. Yeah, we should watch that. Yeah. Other legendary pieces include a two-foot-tall rabbit made for Boots the Chemist that no one has ever seen, but it was made... There's paperwork proving it had been made and delivered, and yet the item itself has never surfaced, which I find very interesting. Do you know where it is? Write in, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. How do you lose a two-foot-tall rabbit? You'd be surprised. True. In the less extreme end of things, corkscrew cats in green. They have these really cute figures that are cats with little corkscrew tails. I frankly love them. And anything in a chocolate-colored glaze. Not impossible to find, but harder to find. And immediately brings the value up to the mid-hundreds. As for value in general, a remarkably high. This might be different for people over the pond. I'm guessing that it was coming across that way to me because I would, like most of the pieces, I would also have to import in addition to their base price. Um, because most of them are, in fact, in the UK. Uh, but even that was pretty high, where the average price was 20 to 30 pounds. That's several more pounds than I have on me. And then, you know, adding in that I would also have to pay for shipping for that. Pretty expensive for your average not-person in the UK or general European continent. And a fair bit of change over there. It's good money for pieces that aren't necessarily rare. They're just beloved. And for good reason, they're high quality. I like the look of them, which I don't say very often about kitsch. You say that every single episode we do on kitsch. I'm learning to love it as as we go along, Ken. I don't know if loving it from the beginning and consistently from there is learning to love it. <laughs> I don't know that having loved it all your life is learning to love it, D. Okay, well, you know what? <laughs> fine, fine. It's the love story of the ages. I loved it all along. I just didn't know how to articulate it. <laughs> In terms of markings and spotting fakes, nothing prior to the 1930s was marked at all. Oh, that's helpful. This is where the fast fashion label really feels apropos. Up until then, they didn't feel the need to advertise themselves that way. It wasn't until they had developed their own kind of distinctive sort of style with the rabbits that they really started advertising and trademarked the term Silva C, in which they introduced a Daisy logo that didn't say Silva C. And then in 1937, it did. Okay. I'm assuming they were just like, yeah, we got a logo. And then like a year later, they were like, oh, fuck, we forgot to put our name on it. <laughs> Shit. God damn it. Damn it. Pretty much, yeah. It's always something. <laughs> in 1937, they used the Daisy logo with Silva C. Over time, the logo would change from back stamping to foil and paper stickers, not unlike Fenton. So a lot of the newer pieces also seem unmarked because those logos are hard to keep on. One thing I find really interesting is that starting in 1937 and pretty much up until foil and paper, every single piece has a model number stamped into it. So it's pretty easy to identify exactly which piece it is if you have access to any of the catalogs, of which there are actually many available. I was actually extremely surprised that people bothered faking these things. It's not something you see very often 
with anything that has such a high saturation rate as Silver Sea does. Like, again, do a cursory Google search and you will see exactly what I mean by, like, the breadth and number of pieces. But it turns out people faked them. I don't know what they were trying to get out of this, but they did. Apparently, the biggest tell is in the eyes. A painted nose and eye? The eyes should specifically be, and I quote, a melting chocolate brown rather than black. Specifically in dogs, there is a staring quality to the reproductions, where they look directly at you and are extremely sinister, whereas the originals should always be looking to the side. They have cold, dead eyes like a doll's eyes? Like a doll's eyes. You're gonna need a bigger shopping basket. <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger tote? <laughs> exactly. God, it's Jaws Bits in 2021. Here we go. <laughs> Are you complaining that our references are dated on our antiques podcast? <laughs> I was being tongue-in-cheek about it, but yeah, a little bit. Oh, boy. Another thing to look out for, and this is kind of across the board with a lot of different pottery pieces. Here we go again. Any kind of non-uniformity in the marks, where the marks look like they were applied at different times in the production. For example, Silva C often is accompanied by a stamp that says Made in England due to a variety of import-export laws uh, across the world, primarily in the U.S. And a lot of the reproductions, the Silva C logo, whichever they're trying to ape, and the Made in England will be, like, obviously two different fonts. That should not be the case. They should also pretty clearly look as if they had been stamped on while the piece was being molded and before it was glazed. So if it looks like someone carved it in with a wire, that's a bad sign. And there are genuine pieces of Silva Sea made with a gloss glaze, but the gloss glaze is always after 1970. Pre-1970, everything was either a matte glaze or a cellulose glaze. Cellulose glaze will read as very crazed. Kind of a plastic-ish sort of look. Like a thin plant-based plastic that's ready to burst into flame at any moment. It wasn't treated, it's not quite as flammable as celluloid, but yes. Not inflammable by any stretch of the imagination. That's your problem right there. Your dog's on fire. And, you know, it's a common problem for everyone. Not just people in Britain. Keep an eye on your dog, won't you? Consider it, won't you? Thank you. <laughs> Pieces made after 1970 aren't bad. They aren't all inherently fake. And they aren't actually necessarily valueless in comparison. But... You know how collectors are. Anything with the matte glaze is going to be doing a little better on the market. So yeah, that's uh, that's Silva C, a company that just wouldn't quit. Splendid. Splendid Silva C. Sources for today include issuu.com slash Francis Joseph. This was actually the reference book that I read. It has an exhaustive list of item numbers and values, although it is out of date currently for current values. It can still be very helpful as a starting point. I recommend it if you're interested in this. Other sources include MullardAntiques.com, a short overview of Silva Sea Pottery. WhatIsItWorth.net, Silva Sea Pottery Collectibles. IrishExaminer.com, Kitching.Tripod.com, and MarkHillPublishing.com, Silva Sea Falconware, The Grecian Range. If you would like to suggest a topic for us to cover or just say hello, you can email us directly, AntiquesFreaksPodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, AntiquesFreaks.tumblr.com. If you had a good time here today, and you want to tell us what a good time you had, scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this and leave us a review. Any kind of review helps. If you would like to purchase some vintage goods, maybe recommend our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques freaks. Now featuring clowns? <laughs> Definitely featuring clowns. 
And also, soon to feature, I got so wrapped up in my own head, I got a, a bunch of vintage molds. Jelly molds? Jelly molds. Well, two jelly molds and one pudding mold. Oh, well then. If you would like to listen to more Antiques Freaks, you can head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where we are chapter by chapter reading and reviewing the penny dreadful Varney the Vampire. We are on chapter 37, which means now's the perfect time to start binging, so head on over to patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our current patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.